Well, good morning. How you all doing? Everyone okay? Fantastic. Awesome. So good to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, my name is Sean. I come from uh, Cape Town, uh, Port Elizabeth originally, and uh, then moved to, to Cape Town when I was 18 years old and been there for the last 20 odd years of my life. And uh, uh, so good to be in Joburg, though, this morning, my son who's with me, Callum, at the back, wherever he, there he is at the back, uh, he came with me for the weekend. We went to uh, Gold Reef City yesterday, and this is what he said to me. He said, Dad, I love Joburg. The shops here are amazing. Okay, I have a shopper on my hand. I mean, he blew a grand yesterday in about five minutes on shopping uh, for clothing. But it's so good to be here, and... Um, uh, Adrian and I have known each other for a number of years. In fact, we met probably in our early 20s, uh, randomly at different times through a mutual friend of ours. And uh, since he's planted Anchor Church, just been on a journey, seeing God do amazing things uh, through uh, his ministry and through the life of this church. And um, just so excited to be here. For, for the last couple of years, he's been asking me to say, can you come and just uh, preach up here? And, and be with us, and we've been involved in a building project, so it's been quite difficult, and uh, uh, finally, uh, I decided to relieve him while he's on honeymoon, and uh, he texted me the other night, and uh, we were just texting back and forth, eventually, I'm like, bro, aren't you on honeymoon? Like, why are you doing work, and why are you texting me? You're going to be in huge trouble, and his answer was, it's 2 a.m. in the morning on my side. She's asleep. I can do some work. Okay, so there we go. Um, but really fantastic to be here. And uh, I'm married to, to one wife. Uh, her name is Tanya. And I have three boys. Jaden on the left there. Callum, who's here with me uh, in the middle. He's my youngest. And then Devin uh, is my middle son. And um, we never planned it that way. Uh, they just all came out, one after the other. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a big believer in, uh, in contraception. <laughs> if you don't want children, you, you know, use it well, use it wisely. And, uh, but we had uh, three kids uh, virtually straight after each other. So my oldest was uh, three years and four months when my youngest was born. So we had a few good years doing life. That's why Adrian and I are so close. Like, we, we get it. We both get it. And, um, uh, but we just have an amazing time. So good to be here. Thank you to, uh, to Will and to Brent for, for, for hosting me this weekend. You've been so gracious. And uh, just looking forward to spending a bit of time sharing God's Word with you. Now, yes, how it works. I don't know how it works here at Anchor in Joburg, but in Cape Town, there's a pretty simple formula for preaching. And that said, I generally aim for about 35 minutes. I don't have a clock on the wall. Uh, but I aim for about 35 minutes. And uh, the more you say amen, the shorter I am. The less you engage, the longer I go. So, so often we can get it down to about 30 minutes. Those of you who got roast in the oven, that's good news. Uh, but if you, if you don't interact this morning, 35 turns to 45, 50 55, 65. In fact, I can go all day. I've got nowhere to go to. I don't know about you, but uh, we'll just close the doors this morning and make sure that nobody can escape. No, I won't do that to you. Just for, for the next 30 minutes or so, I want to talk uh, to you this morning about building a church that rescues people. I'm so aware this morning 
that you've embarked on this incredible journey. And if this is your home, you've been here for the last little while, you call this your home, you're on the most exciting journey on the planet. We've uh, just uh, embarked on a, a building project a couple of years ago. Um, we have a couple of campuses, and we started uh, another one because our building was getting too, too full. And so for the last two years, we've been involved in a building project. And four weeks ago, we moved into the new building. It's not finished. It's undone. And we get in, we get out every single week, but we had to do it. And, uh, and uh, we built a, a large building. And some people say, why, why are you building a building so big? And the answer was very simple. Uh, that we're going to be living in a community that over the next 10 years is the fastest growing community in uh, Cape Town and one of the fastest growing communities in South Africa. In the next 10 years, there's going to be 60,000 people living uh, in 15,000 homes within a five-minute driving radius of the new building we're building. So we're not just building a church for today. We're building a church for the future. And I hope that this morning maybe I can impart to you and just inspire you to want to be a part of a journey that doesn't just build a church for today. When we're building a church for today, it's always about me. But if we believe that we're called to build a church not just for today, but a church that'll last, a church that'll have a legacy, a church that'll be a life-giving church in its community, then what we do is so much greater than just the few little struggles we have today but it becomes bigger than us because it becomes about the kingdom of God and we get to do something significant in the kingdom of God. So I want to talk about building a church that rescues people. How many of you know we're all building something in our lives? Some of us, we're, we're building careers. Some of us could be building families. Some of us are, uh, uh, are building our reputations. We're all we're all building something in our life. All of us are builders in one way or another. And we can either be building smart this morning, where we're taking the principles of God and the blueprint of God, and we're designing our lives according to the blueprint of God, and, or we're just maybe throwing some things together and hoping that life will work out, hoping that our future will work out, hoping that circumstances will work out. I hope this morning that you really are building according to the blueprint of God because if you are, God's already got your destiny in His hand and He knows your future, which means that when you're taking on God's blueprint, then your future is always secure in Him. But the Bible calls us to be builders, builders of the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, On judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And if the work survives, that builder receives a reward. But if the work is burned up, then the builder will suffer great loss and the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flame. So Paul talks here as he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church and he says, he says, be careful what you build because every person has an opportunity to build something but what we need to build needs to last. It needs to have an eternal value. And so I want to have a look this morning at John chapter 4, verse 25. I'm going to pick up on a story and uh, hopefully just give you a few principles. I want to look at three of the key characters within this story and take out a couple of principles that can help us to build a church that rescues 
people, build a church that rescues people. In John chapter 4, there's this incredible story, and most of the time when we hear it preached, we'll hear the first end of the story, but I want to I pick up from the second part of the story. It's kind of the ending and how the story ends, and it's the story of a woman at a well. She's a, she's a woman who's caught in some precarious circumstances. She's She's not doing well in her life. Maybe she hasn't built according to the principles of God, and she finds herself in a space in her life where she's lonely, she's isolated, she's rejected, uh, she, she feels disconnected from the community. She's looking for belonging, she's looking for love, but she's looking for it in every other way except the way that God wants her to find it. And so she embarks on a journey of, of, of looking for it within men and Jesus, we see later in the story, reveals to her and talks about uh, how she's tried to look for something within all these different men. In fact, the Bible says that she'd been uh, with five different men, married to five different men, and the current man that she's with now is, is somebody that she's just with. She's not even married to him. And because of that, the community had rejected her. They didn't want anything to do with her. She was isolated. And Jesus rocks up on the scene and he has this incredible encounter with this woman at the well. And he restores her life, and he brings hope into her life, and everything changes for her. And I want to pick it up in the second part of the story from verse 21. You can follow on the screen that's there if you want to. It says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. His disciples had gone into town. It was about lunchtime, and the disciples decided that they needed some food to eat. So they went into town, but Jesus was tired, so he hung around uh, at this well where people came to draw water. So his disciples uh, returned, and they were shocked to find him talking with a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were ur urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have the kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say to you, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. and The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything that I ever did. And when they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. 
now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. Can we just take a moment and pray? God, thank You for Your Word. Your Word brings life to our souls. Lord, Your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, as we look at Your Word this morning, speak to us. Thank You that Your Word is alive, that it changes us from the inside out. And I pray that we'll go away from you, Lord, this morning, knowing that we've had an encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to have a look at three of the characters in the Bible and just draw a few principles about building a church that rescues people. If you want to be a part of building a church that rescues people, uh, I think it's so good to have a look at the story and to be able to see how Jesus connected with people and the interactions that he had so that he could build people's lives and ultimately build the kingdom of God. The first person is the woman at the well. We notice that Jesus encounters this woman uh, at a well. And a well was a place in those days that was like, a, it was a meeting place. It wasn't just a place where you went to get water, but it was actually a meeting place. In fact, in those days, uh, most of the women, it was the woman's job to go and collect water. And uh, uh, I don't know what the man's job was, but uh, the woman would have to go. And most of the time in those days, they would go in the late afternoon because it was too hot in the middle of the day. We noticed that this woman was there in the middle of the day because she had some issues. She obviously didn't want to uh, confront the other people in her village who knew who she was and what her behavior was like. And so she felt isolated and disconnected. But, but well points were meeting places back in those days, and, and uh, 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 people would not just go to draw water, but it would be a conversation gathering point. It's, a, it's the modern-day coffee shop. That's what it was. People went to go and collect what they needed, and they sat around and they drank coffee. It's like, it's like, it's like the female bathrooms. It's a gathering point. A, a, a friend of mine, we just put up signage, and uh, someone in our church donated our signage, and he sent me this picture, and he said, should we do this? And the picture was two doors, and on the one door, it just had the word blah, B-L-A-H, with an exclamation mark. On the other door, it had blah, 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 blah. Guess what the man and guess what the woman's toilet were? I said, no. I don't know what they do there. All I know is that they gather there, and conversations take place, and things happen in a woman's bathroom that does not happen in a gentleman's bathroom. One day when we get to eternity, God's going to reveal that great secret. But, but the, the, the well point was the gathering point of people. It was the place where the community met. And Jesus had an encounter with this woman at a gathering point. I wonder in your life what your gathering points are. I wonder in your life what the well points of your life are. Maybe it's, maybe it's the business that you're in where, where you know that every single day for five days in a week people gather together and you do business together. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your, uh, uh, where you study or, uh, or your school. Or maybe it's your, your family. Maybe it's a friendship circle. Maybe you're involved in, in some kind of sporting activity or hobby. But wherever you are and other people are gathered, I want you to know this morning that that's your well point. And it's at the well point that Jesus had an encounter with this woman. You see, sometimes what we love to do is we love to wait for people to come to church before they encounter Jesus. But actually, every opportunity where there's a well point in your life is an opportunity for Jesus to gather around and to do something in people's lives. 
That's why the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside you and I. Jesus in us, the hope of the world. You and I, as we gather with people, we need to know that we bring Jesus with us. And Jesus is always looking for opportunities to gather so that he can change lives. What kind of a church do you see? Are you the church? Do you believe that you have well points in your life. What, what, what we've been doing over the last year, year and a half within our own church is uh, we have connect groups, cell groups, small groups. I don't know what you call them yet, anchor church, but uh, uh, we, we have different kinds of groups. And, and traditionally, we've always had these groups together around the Bible study because somehow Sundays are not enough and we want to gather around and get some more information but nothing ever changes in our lives. And so we've been teaching our people, hang on, can't, can we maybe not create some well points in our lives that are bigger than just little Bible study points? Maybe, maybe in your business you can start a prayer group and that can be your connect group and you can start to invite people that are maybe far from God because I've never heard anybody say they don't want prayer in their lives. Maybe it's, uh, we, we, we have a guy, a business guy, uh, who works in a big business park and every single uh, week on a Wednesday at lunchtime he goes for a walk around a, a massive flay area. It's about a 20-minute walk, 30-minute walk. And he's just invited people from his business and they gather and they begin to just walk around this for 30 minutes. They clear their heads. And what he does at the beginning of, uh, of every single walk or sometimes at the end, he says, hey, is there anything I can pray for for anybody? I want to keep you in my prayers over the week. And sometimes he shares a scripture. Guess what? It's a well point. There's a gathering point. We're teaching our guys how to, how to take a running community and, and turn that into a well point where it's not just we go and run and we talk a whole bunch of rubbish and that's where it ends. No, how do we bring Jesus into the midst of this? Because every opportunity is an opportunity to have a well point. But not only in our personal lives do we have well points, but how many of you know that this church is a well point for people's lives? Anchor Church is a life-giving church. And you and I, we have the great opportunity to build a well point for people's lives so that people in this community can come and drink from the presence of God. But if we don't recognize it as that, if we don't see it as that, then all we think is it's just a gathering point that we attend rather than a well point that we get to build together in order to see people's lives changed. We notice at this well point that this woman has a personal encounter with Jesus. It's amazing. What she says to her friends as she goes and tells people what happened to her, she says, come and see a man who told me everything about myself. And this is what she was saying. She was saying, hey, I, I met this guy at a well point. It was a gathering point. And as I started to talk to him and he started to interact with me, it's as though he told me everything about my life. I've never met him in my life. I didn't know who he was. I've never had an interaction. But somehow... Somehow he told me everything about my entire life. Ever been in a service where you feel like the message is just for you? Where it's like, did he know what I did in the week? Come on, how many you know what I'm talking about? Why? Because we serve a God who wants to have personal encounters with you and I. He's not just a God who sits up in heaven. He's not just a God who's, who, who's somewhere out there. No, every single moment is an opportunity to have a personal encounter. I remember when I was 14 years old, I had grown up in church my whole life, but I'd never had an encounter with Jesus until one day when my parents were forced to go, well, not forced, they volunteered to be the cooks on the camp. 
It was a camp of young children, like 11, 12, 13-year-old kids. And I was already in high school, and I didn't want to go on this camp. And I phoned all my friends, and I'm like, can I stay with you for the weekend? And all of them said, no, I don't know if I should be offended at that or whether God was busy doing something. I don't know. But, but, but I went on this camp. And, uh, and I just hung around at the back all the time. I, I was just disconnected from it and disengaged from it. But every single night, they began to have worship. These young children in, 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 in junior school began to, to worship God. And as they began to worship God, I was completely overcome by the presence of God. I didn't understand it. I'd never felt something like that in my life. I never, I, I, I'd never experienced that in church in my entire life. But something happened in me. And I remember the first night of just sensing this worship and feeling the overwhelming love of God just beginning to fill my life. The, the preacher hadn't preached. Nobody had shared a message. But at the end of the worship, somebody said, hey, if you want to know Jesus personally, then just come with us to this room and we're going to pray with you. And I'll tell you, in that moment, I knew that God was speaking right to me. How? How? Because I felt as though my whole life was revealed in front of him. Even though I'd never encountered God in that way, it was as though Jesus was only speaking to me. Why? Because God wants to have personal encounters with people's lives. She has this personal encounter. But before she has this personal encounter... Jesus has to break every ounce of religion in her to teach her that it goes beyond religion and into a relationship. You see, when Jesus encountered this woman, she has this interesting conversation with him, if you read in the preceding 25 verses, where, where she's like, Jesus, why are you even having this conversation with me? I mean, you're a Jew, and I, I, I'm a Samaritan. Samaritans in those days did not interact with Jewish people. They were considered unclean. In fact, when Jesus went, he was on his way to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Most good Jewish people wouldn't pass through Samaria. They would go around Samaria to Galilee because they considered Samaritans such unclean, ungodly people that they didn't want to touch them. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes straight through to Samaria and stops at a well point and has a conversation with a woman, which in those days was like, like you didn't do that kind of a thing. And so she starts to have this conversation with Jesus, and she can't understand. It's like, why are you talking to me? And Jesus begins to unfold some things about her life, and, and, but, but she still can't get over it. She's like, no, but I don't understand. And you, 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 know, uh, you say your God is this, but we worship God in this way. And Jesus cuts through all of that and begins to minister to her heart. You see, because religion will never bring people into a personal encounter with Jesus. Only a relationship with God will. And if you and I can make a decision to build a life-giving church that's not about religion, that's not about my ways and the things that I think is, is, is cool and the things that I think that I want, but we can find ways to break through the religious barriers so that we can touch people's lives, God is getting ready to work in people's lives. Sometimes the reason why people don't turn to God is because of us. Ever found that? It's like I feel like, like Christians are always standing against things when we should be standing for things. We should be standing for the broken. We should be standing for the disconnected. We should be standing for the ungodly. Why? Why? No, we, we, we're not endorsing a lifestyle, but we're endorsing the fact that we're all broken and we need the grace of God in order for God to do something in our lives. 
And when people start to see, hang on, we're not against you, we're actually for you. Man, we, we, we have the solution. We're not trying to tell you what you're doing wrong. We're just showing you what Jesus is doing right. We're just showing you what the grace of God does in your life. We're just showing you how the righteousness of God can impact your life. Everything begins to change in our lives. She has this personal encounter, and this personal encounter leads her to tell everybody else about Jesus. The first thing she does, the first thing she does is she runs out of there and she tells everybody else about this guy that she meets. Now I know that uh, uh, at Anchor Church, uh, just like uh, at Urban Edge Church, it's not unique to Anchor Church, uh, just in case they did tell you, but we actually uh, uh, gleaned it off another great church, uh, but there's a process. Uh, I don't know what you call it, yeah? Um, it's a, it's a four-week or a four-step or a three-step process where you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. I said to our church the other day, I don't understand why we even label it discover your purpose. We don't need to discover anything. We already know what the purpose of God is. It should just be step into your purpose because there's nothing more to discover because this woman, the minute she got saved, she already knew her purpose. Come and hear about a man who told me everything about myself. She didn't have to go through a growth track course. She didn't have to go through the three or the four or the five or the 12 step process. She didn't have to go and enter into a class in order to know what the purpose of God was because when God changes your life, you can't help but know what the purpose of God is for somebody else's life. She discovered something so excited that brought freedom into her life that she wanted everybody to know. The other day, I, I bought a, a vacuum cleaner. We've been without a vacuum cleaner for a few months. You, you, you know those times in life where things break in threes? Come on, how do you know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, you, you know, for, for, for us, it was the garage door, the gate outside our, uh, our four walls, the fridge, and the vacuum cleaner. All of them, like, just in a, in a period of, like, one month. And so we didn't have vacuum cleaner for a couple of months. And uh, we were kind of reluctant to buy one because, uh, because somehow vacuum cleaners break. I mean, uh, the average vacuum cleaner lasts about eight months in uh, the Phillips household. It's just like, like, like we, just, we just tug on it, we pull it, and, you, you know. So, so we decided, no, no, we're just going to use the broom from now. Like, like that's it. No, no more vacuum cleaners. Eventually, we're like, no, no, maybe we need to get one. So I phoned a friend of mine uh, because he used to work for a company called Tebow. I'm like, you, you know, uh, typical pastors, we were schmoozing, you know, can you get us maybe a discount at TiVo and your vacuum cleaners? And so he said, yeah, yeah, go and have a look, and uh, uh, you can go to Macro, and you can check it out, and uh, if you're happy with it, then, um, uh, you, you know, I can organize you a little bit of a discount. So we go to Macro, and uh, they've got this little TiVo section, there's Verimark, and there's TiVo, but, you, you know, we were into the TiVo section, and and I look at these vacuums, and there's a guy, then he's like, can I help you? And I'm like, we're looking at a vacuum cleaner, so he starts to proceed to tell us, about the vacuum cleaner, and as he's telling me, I, I see, I see, I see on the uh, on the shelf there the, 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 these these words, tough, tough, fifteen, tough. I'm, I'm like, why, why does that say tough? He's like, no, 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 no. This is like a, like like a serious little vacuum cleaner. I'm like, oh, what do you mean serious? He says, no, no, no. This thing this thing doesn't break. I'm like that's the one I'm looking for. It's like, like, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? Because you all say the same thing. He says, watch this. He takes the vacuum cleaner, he puts it on the ground, and then he starts to jump on it like this. Like, he's literally jumping on this thing. I'm like, okay, that's, that's pretty 
impressive. Like, like I'm listening now. I said, but, but the problem is vacuum cleaners don't really break on the body. Where they really break is all the pipes start to break. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? He said, like, no, 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 watch this. He takes the pipes and he starts pulling them and bending them and ripping them. Eventually, we are playing, literally, we're playing tug of war in the middle of macro and we're pulling on both ends of the pipe to see if we can break. Nothing breaks. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm really listening now. But I said, but there's one other area that vacuums often break, and that's, you, you know, the cable and where it attaches into the vacuum. He said, no, 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 watch this. He takes it and he starts swinging this, va- I, I promise to God, I'm not even lying, okay, this is the absolute truth. I'm like, soul done, I mean, give it to me right now. I took it, I brought it home, I told everybody the next day about the vacuum, just like I'm telling you now. Why? Because when you've discovered something that can change your life, come on, how many of you know, nobody has to tell you to advertise it, you automatically do. You know, when you encounter God and you find freedom in your life, how many of you know it's when you discover the freedom for which Christ has set you free that you can't help but want to share? And maybe the reason why some of us have stopped sharing is because we've stopped encountering God. Because it wasn't just a once-off experience. Because every day the Bible says His mercies on you. Every Sunday is an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Every day when I open my Bible, every day when I'm walking around is an opportunity. And when you and I get the revelation of what He's done in our lives, then we can't help but want to be like that. We, we I mean, God bless your process. It's just like ours. But who needs that process when you truly have God encounters? Because you'll want everybody to know. The second person, you still with me? Come on, just a few more minutes. I've got 10 more minutes to get through two more. You, I can do it. Although you haven't been amening much, so we might go on another 10 minutes. Second one is the disciples. The disciples. You've got to love these guys. I mean, these are the disciples of Jesus. Like, like, like the fate of the world is hanging on their hands. Do, do, do you, do you understand that? Like, like, Jesus comes. He's the Savior of the world. He's, he's got this, the gospel of grace that he wants to impart to the world. He chooses 12 disciples, and he, and he says, I will build my church. In fact, he says to Peter, Peter, you are the rock, and on you I will build my church. Like, you're the guys. But the disciples, they don't get stuff. Ever found that? Like, like, go and read the Gospels. Okay, you, you think they're these great, holy, amazing people. They, they've got nothing. I mean, Jesus, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Okay, he does this incredible miracle. And they're like, whoa, check it out. You, you, you know, then just, just one chapter later, he feeds 4,000 people and asks them the same question, like, what do you have? Because they're like, we can't do it. Now, you would think that one chapter later after Jesus done this miracle, and he says, okay, what do you have this time? They go, <laughs> you know, you have some dirt, God, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you have a little bit of air, you know, what do you have? doesn't matter, man, whatever we give to you, you're going to turn it and multiply it, and people are going to eat. And they just don't get it. So Jesus has to perform the miracle twice. And probably even after that, they're still like, these disciples, like, like, they don't get it. They really don't get it. And so, 
And so they're with Jesus, and the Bible says that as they're returning from getting food in town, and Jesus is sitting there at the well having this discussion with this woman, the Bible says that they were surprised to find Jesus with her. Why were they surprised? I'll tell you why. Because their religion told them that Jesus shouldn't be doing this. Their religion said, no, 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 no. First of all, we shouldn't be in Samaria. Like the fact that we even stopped here to have something to eat, we should have gone right through and got to Galilee as fast as we could. Now you're sitting in the middle of the day on your own with this woman who is unclean and uh, uh, you, you know, God helping you even touch her in any way, shape, or form. But, but, but there she is. You shouldn't be talking with her. You shouldn't have any interaction with her. She's an unclean person. You're going to have to go and purify her. So like, why would you be doing this? Like, like, they didn't get it. After all the miracles, after all the ministry of Jesus, after, after Jesus touching so many unclean people's lives, he, he would raise the dead, he would cleanse people of their leprosy, and they still don't get the fact that Jesus is rescuing lives. They don't get it. They don't get it because they were so focused on their mission that they missed the mission. They were so focused on getting physical food that they missed the fact that Jesus' mission was about spiritual food. So they missed the mission. They missed the whole point of why Jesus came. I wonder this morning if sometimes we miss the mission. I wonder this morning if sometimes we're so focused on our mission you might say, no, no, but I, I, I'm involved in the mission of God. You know, I read my Bible, I study, I talk to God. I, but I'm not asking that. I, I, I wonder if sometimes we miss the mission, the mission of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus created the local church to be the vehicle that helps to rescue the world. And you and I, the Bible says, are the church. And when we understand the mission, we stop getting involved in our own missions because we can be focused on the mission of God and we can rescue people. You know that this church has a mission? In fact, if you don't know, you can just pull out a giving envelope. And on the front of the giving envelope, it says, we have a vision to build a vibrant church. Are you vibrant this morning? Come on, turn to somebody next to you and just tell them, you're so vibrant this morning. Are you sitting next to a corpse? <laughs> we have a vision to build a vibrant church that will share the hope of Jesus with the people of our city. Come on, how do you know this church has a mission? And I would implore you this morning that if this is your home, get on board the mission. Get on board what God is already doing. Let me tell you what God is doing here is beautiful. It's unique. It's incredible. I remember a few years ago when Adrian told me that he's going to be going out to plant this church. And I'm like, I'm like how are you going to do it, bro? Uh, uh, like, like, are you taking a whole bunch of people? And he's like, no, not really. I'm like, okay, well, well you, you, you know, have you got a whole bunch of finance? And he's like, no, not really. I'm like, 
okay, you've got some kids, you can sell them, I guess. You know, no, I didn't say that, I didn't say that. And remember the faith step that he took every week, every month, not knowing. Uh, Will and I were chatting this morning. I said, I, I, I remember those processes. I remember when I came to our church and there was no youth. And we we're like, okay, you, you, you can start a youth. And I'm like, okay, how are we going to start a youth? We've got to find a way to attract. I mean, Yara and this like 30-odd-year-old guy. Now, I'm just going to talk to a teenager and say, come along on a Friday night and you know, give up on your party and come to this place. And re- remember advertising it in church and that, trying to get into the schools and advertising and inviting and, and, and sitting there in the first night wondering if anybody's even going to pitch up. And then eventually some people do. I remember like the, the first night we had 22 kids. I was like, yes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just the four leaders. There was 22 kids that came. <laughs> and then the next week, there were, there were 30 kids. But out of those 30 kids, 12 of them came from the other side of town. I don't know how they came then. I don't know where they came from. And I don't know what they were doing. They were so different from us. They were like, like I, I don't even know who they were from. But they were there for, for about three months. They came every single week. And they just boosted the numbers enough for it to feel like there's a little bit of a crowd and there's something happening until our kids start to grow. And then they disappear. Maybe they they were angels. I don't know. But it was like, 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 and I was talking to Will saying, you know, because Will was here in the early days of planting Anchor Church, and, I was like, uh, and we were talking about, you know, we remember the days when we started, and, you know, the opening service, like 50 or 80 people, you know, like, yes, and then the next week, it's like 40 people, then the next week, 20 people. I mean, that's good growth. How many of you know? You, you know, and it's, like, and it's like for months, every week, we, you're like one week away from closing the church. Like, like is anybody going to pitch up? That's why it's good to come early. Amen. Because it freaks the pastor out when he's starting worship and the seats are empty. What are we talking about? I'm not idea. This church is on a mission. I'm so blessed by what God has done. I've heard the testimonies of people's lives that are getting changed. And you know, we don't have to be observers. We get to do this together. Come on, as disciples, we're on a mission. The third one, the third one is Jesus. Jesus says three important things to his disciples. Does the worship team come up at the end? They can, because God doesn't move unless (laughs) there's at least a guitar, a piano or something. How many of you know you've got an amazing worship team? Come on, come on up, guys. Come on, give them a hand. I'm so blessed this morning to being able to worship. That's what I love about the family of God. It doesn't matter where you come from. Man, when worship starts, you just get to be a part of it. Look, they're all calling each other. I don't know. They're like, like what, what are we doing? I don't know. Just play something in the background. Okay? My, my son likes Triple X Tentation. If you can play a little bit of him, that'll be super cool. Jesus, Jesus says three things to the disciples as he closes. He's like, like he's having this encounter with this woman at the well. Her life is going to be changed forever. The disciples, they don't get it. They're like you and I. Like, like, like we don't get the mission of Jesus. They're so focused on the temporal that they miss out on the mission of God. And so Jesus kind of has to summarize this whole thing. He doesn't leave his disciples because God's not leaving you yet today to walk out 
and go, well, there was that crazy guy from Cape Town, spent 30 minutes of my time. No, Jesus wants them to hear something. And there's three statements that he makes that I want to encourage you with this morning if this is your home. The first thing he says is this. He says, my food is to do the will of the Father. I want to ask you this morning, what brings you fulfillment in your life? What brings you fulfillment? Hey, there's a lot of things that make me happy. Yesterday I took my son to um, Goldry City. It was awesome just spending the day with him. We don't often get time just to hang out one-on-one like that. And it was so awesome. Woke up this morning, he was so tired. I'm like, I'm like, do you have a nice day? He says, like, best day of my life, you know. So I like my youngest son, he's like, he's so dramatic like his father, you know. And, um, you know, there, there are things that bring me fulfillment, but they come and go. Jesus makes a very important statement. He says, he says if, you, if you want to truly be full, if you want your life to be fulfilled, to be nourished, if, if you want that, that void that keeps us searching all the time to be met, he said, the only way you're going to find that is when you know the will of the Father and you walk in that. And I've discovered, you know, we have a mission in Lesotho uh, that we've been involved with for 13 years. And every year we send teams across. And every single year we have the same testimony feedback. And the feedback is always this. I went there. I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I was kind of even, you know, a little bit disconnected from God, but I thought I'll just go and, and, and I came there to do some ministry, but actually it wasn't what I did for them. It's what God did for me. It was so amazing. And so it's like, whoa, what did we discover? I'll tell you what they discovered. It's very simple. They discovered what it feels like to fulfill the mission of God. It brings true fulfillment in your life. The second thing, come on, I'm almost done. Almost done. 35 went to 40 because some of you didn't say amen. Second thing Jesus says, he says, says, open your eyes and look because the fields are ripe. The second question I want to ask you is, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see at Anchor Church? What do you see in the lives of the people around you in your business context, in your family context, in your friendship circles? What do you see? Do you see a bunch of people who are far from God? Or do you see a field that's ripe for harvest? Because what you see is so important. Uh, A couple of weekends ago, I was watching CNN and they had this documentary on Syria. And, um, and they were talking about the children of Syria, more than three million kids who are on the borderline of starvation. And they started showing all these images and all these pictures. And after about five minutes, I turned the TV off. And the reason I turned the TV off is not, I mean, I've, I've seen those things so many times. It's like I turned the TV off because I didn't want to see you know why I didn't want to see? I was so scared that just maybe God would say, 
up. I'm just being honest. So I didn't want to see. I hope this morning that you'll open your eyes and see that there's people that need freedom and that you and I can get to be a part of it if we understand that the fields are ripe. Anchor Church is a ripe harvest. If you can gather them, God will do something in them. Number three, as I close. Third thing Jesus says is the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. The third question I want to ask you this morning is, what is the harvest of your life? What is the harvest of your life? Hey, there's a lot of things we can harvest, yeah. But all of these things, one, one day they're going to be gone. They're going to fade. When you look at the person next to you, I know they look beautiful now. There's no wrinkles. Everything just looks like it's in place. But a day is coming where everything's going to sag, where everything's going to shrivel up. And before long, it's all going to turn into dust. Because whatever we harvest, yeah, in the temporal, only lasts for a season. But whatever we harvest for eternity will last forever. Come on, what is the harvest of your life truly going to be? In Jesus' name, bow your heads. Bow your heads this morning. Come on, I want to just take a moment and pray. Come on, this is... This is Anchor Church this morning. You're not just some church that popped up out of nowhere and that's going nowhere. You're a group of people called by God to build a church that rescues people. So what do you see for your life this morning? What is the harvest of your life going to be? Come on, I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe this morning you can be in agreement with me to just make a fresh commitment and, and a renewed effort to say, God, I'm going to make my life count. God, while I'm at Anchor Church, we're going to be on a mission together. Not my own mission, not some whatever mission. We're going to be on a mission together. We want to see you rescue lives and bring freedom and grace to the lost. Come on, if that's you, I'm going to pray with you this morning. God, I just pray, Lord, right here now this morning, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for a vision that you planted in a man's heart that's given birth to this. Thank you for a life-giving church. Thank you that every community deserves a life-giving church, a well point where people can come and find hope. And I pray, God, this morning that you'll raise us up to be the people that you've called us to be. Hey, God, the disciples, they didn't get it. Lord, we, we, can, we so often identify with the disciples. Like, we don't get it. We're so, we so focused on the temporal. We're so focused on our own needs. We're so focused on what we think needs to be done that we lose out on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. But God, this morning, we surrender our wills to you. We surrender our sight to you. We surrender what we see. We surrender the harvest of our lives over to you this morning. And I pray that you'll use our hands, that you'll use our hearts, that you'll use our mouths, that you'll use us. Thank you, God, that you said the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God, we're empowered by your Spirit. We're empowered to make a difference. Our words count 
our words matter. Lord, we're not just ordinary citizens. God, we are citizens not of this earth, but we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven that's been called for a time like this to make a difference. And I pray that you'll spark that thing in our hearts. Lord, maybe for some of us, we just need to have a renewed encounter with you. And I pray that we'll have that encounter with you so that you can speak into our hearts, so that you can minister into our lives and we can go out and share about your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name. Can we give God some praise this morning? Amen. Amen.